0: I mean, India has announced the 2017 net zero target. So first of all, we need a roadmap on how we are going to get there and what sectors are we going to work on first. And I think we don't have really the luxury of sequencing. Hello, I'm Meenal Pathak, I'm a Senior Scientist with the Working Group 3 Technical Support Unit of the UN IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, and I'm also the Associate Professor at Antipat University, and you're listening to Understanding the Future Podcast.
1: Hello, everyone. I am Puneet Gandhi, Senior Associate with the Climate Center for Cities at the National Institute of Urban Affairs and welcome to the Season 3 of Understanding the Future podcast. I have been working and studying in the field of sustainability and climate change for more than 8 years and I have realized that I have a lot of questions on how we can build cities in India that are more climate focused. With Understanding the Future podcast, I interact with experts, entrepreneurs and government officials to understand what it takes to bring all the different solutions to the ground as well as how can systemic changes be developed on ground. We will further anchor all the topics being discussed with different skill sets required. This will help us understand the future of cities and future of work in Indian context. If you are tuning in for the first time, do check out our previous episodes. Also, don't forget to check out the Climate Practitioners India Network, a members-led solutions-oriented platform for climate practitioners across India. And join it through the show notes. Hope you enjoy the podcast. Hello and welcome to
2: the Season 3 of Understanding the Future. I'm your host, Puneet Gandhi, Senior Associate with the Climate Centre for Cities. And today, we have with us Dr. Greenan Park. She is a Senior Scientist for Working Group 3 of the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, popularly known as IPCC, And she is also an Associate Professor at the Ahmedabad University. Today, she will help us understand how can we achieve science-based targets. Welcome to the show.
0: Thank you so much, Puneet, for inviting me.
2: So, I think uh, we'll start off with one of the most basic questions that we can come up with that. How does an IPCC report help us understand climate change? What are we actually looking at it from that report that helps us understand this is climate change and what are we trying to do with it?
0: So before I answer your question directly, I wanted to um, just let you know what the IPCC is. And so the IPCC, is most most of you know, is the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. It's a UN body was established by the World Meteorological Organization and the United Nations Environment Programme uh, about 30 years ago. And this is a, an organization of governments that are members. Um, so currently the IPCC has 195 member governments and thousands of people globally contribute to the work of the IPCC. So there's a whole group of authors from around the world who, who write these assessment reports. Uh, they volunteer this, their time as authors. And an IPCC assessment report is typically uh, a report that assesses thousands of scientific papers published each year within that cycle, which is typically about five years. So every six to seven years, there is an IPCC assessment report uh, that is uh, written by scientists but the summary is approved by governments line by line. And these reports undergo a thorough peer review process where governments and experts comment uh, Throughout the cycle on the report. So it's, um, it's an open and transparent treatment process, and this cycle is the sixth cycle. So we recently published the sixth assessment report of the IPCC.
2: Thank you so much. I think that the uh, good baseline to start off there.
0: And maybe uh, your, part of your question was what does the, the report say? Um, yeah. Uh, Right. So, so the IPCC actually has three working groups. Working group one, which is uh, the physical science basis. Working group two, which d- d- deals with the adaptation. So, so impacts, vulnerability, and adaptation. And working group three, which is about mitigation. So, reducing greenhouse gas emissions. So, I work with the mitigation working group, and so my, I, uh, uh, I will discuss the findings from the the working group three report that was uh, uh, released in April. So I guess I guess it's been widely covered in media. So you would have heard. Um, uh, we are at a at a unique point in history. Did you want to uh, say something for me? No,
2: no, no, no. Go ahead, go ahead.
0: Okay. So yeah, well, I mean, global greenhouse gas emissions have continued to rise, and um, if we were to achieve the global mitigation emission to to reduce catastrophic climate change, then we need to. We need to have peaked before 2025, peaked our emissions before 2025. Um, and that, that sets out a really steep target, uh, globally. And, and to achieve these targets, we need rapid and unprecedented action across all sectors. So, energy, transport, industry, land, um, land use, agriculture, and forestry. So, so, I mean, it's not, it is a steep target. I wouldn't say that there is no progress. There is some good news, right? Some countries have managed to decouple emissions. There's been rapid growth in renewable energy. In fact, the report says that about 85% of costs have come down of solar energy. There's been a wide scale adoption, reduction in costs of EV batteries. Um, yeah, policies have worked in many countries. But, but where we are at this stage, the gap between what is achieved and what needs to be achieved is huge, and therefore the report spells out action across sectors for reducing emissions. So, so the report has chapters on buildings, transport industry, and discusses these various options options to, to achieve these targets, including cost governance, finance, and policy that enable these transitions. We also have a chapter on uh, cities, so human settlements and, and what actions can be taken in cities to reduce and That
2: That sounds very really interesting and exciting as well as a bit scary as well. Uh, I think with it, I think that, uh, there are a lot of things that, uh, that, yes, we have achieved considerable amount of growth. We have achieved. We are trying to move towards action as well, and a lot of governments have taken up our policy-based rules as well to make sure that there is enough things possible to be done. Uh, but as you pointed out, uh, we should keep by 2025. It's it's three years down the line, which makes it a bit more challenging in terms of uh, what can be done by the government, especially, uh, I'll come to the Indian context later because I think that again has its own uh, wide range of issues. But Globally, then, uh, if you have to consider, what are some of the things that uh, developed countries trying to make sure that, okay, this is how we will reduce this uh, based on these uh, kind of uh, gaps that you just pointed out, that the gaps can be any of the field, any of the intersectional area. Uh, what are certain things that globally countries are trying to do?
0: I think the first and foremost is of course decarbonizing, carbonizing um, energy supply. So basically clean, clean energy. Uh, so all electricity must be low carbon by 2007. And this must allow for the electrification of end uses like transport, industry, etc. And therefore we need large scale. We need the systems and infrastructure in place to enable this electricity transition. And I think countries are investing in, in this including, um, Including of course CCS that will be the carbon capture and storage that will be necessary to, to, uh, to allow to offset some of the emissions from fossil fuel use, but other forms of clean power, of course renewable energy being priority, but also investments in hydrogen. Um, and the good news is that the unit costs of these low carbon technologies have fallen, but, but their adoption really needs to be scaled up. So that's one. The second one is decarbonizing industry, which means not only the traditional solutions of improving energy efficiency, but the new, new age solutions or the new jargon that we say circular economy solutions, uh, deploying carbon capture and storage, because some, some industry sectors are um, not easy to decarbonize, like cement, for example, right? So, so those, those industries will need to, to capture some of the carbon dioxide uh, that will be uh, emitted, And then I, I, mentioned cities and, and, uh, the report calls out for these strategies for different types of cities. So, um, I mean, you said Indian cities and other developing country cities are at a, at a, um, at a special, let's say special, special stage. And therefore, the, the report for the first time calls out strategies for the more established cities growing cities and then still, you know, uh, still smaller cities and, and how these different types of cities can adopt different types of solutions like the established cities might need retrofits versus the, the rapidly growing cities could could now invest in low-carbon infrastructure. And finally, the point I want to highlight is the focus on on behavior yeah. because for the first time in the IPCC report, we have a whole chapter um Call demand services and social aspects uh, of mitigation, and where where we call out to to behavior change. And I think developed countries need to consider this this very important uh, important dimension of mitigation. That it's not only about technology, but we'll need large scale change in consumption patterns and behavior if we were to meet uh, meet our uh, mitigation targets.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think. For Behavior is one, surely one of the most challenging, I would say, but one of the most interesting fields to also study about and make sure that if we can actually transition to a better services and solutions, I, I think it can be a game changer for sure. Uh, but let's backtrack a bit and uh, try to understand that. Yes. So now uh, there are three different groups uh, we are working on the mitigation part. So, from science perspective, if we have to look at it, what are some of the major challenges that we have to first identify Let's first consider the global level and then for the Indian context, we can also do the national level.
0: I think, uh, I mean, working with one, which is uh, just from the climate science perspective, you know, given that we have all these, I mean, as we speak, uh, Ahmedabad had a massive spell of rainfall yesterday and, you know, homes and streets and uh, shops and buildings were flooded and, and and just a month ago we were reeling under extreme heat and, and from the science perspective I think we need to understand these events, uh, we need to have better data on the past climate at the local levels, we need more granular place-based data to be able to inform and you know inform the future solutions. You can plan a city but you need to know know where it is at right now. And, and from the climate science perspective, the science of attribution. Which of these events are linked to climate change? What happens in the future under different warming scenarios? So you have scenarios that predict that warming might range between, let's say, 2 degrees to, to 3.5, 3.7 degrees. So what is it that we are going to see if the temperature increases by 2 degrees, 2 point, what does it mean for different regions? What does it mean for different cities? So, so from a science perspective, I think we need to, to understand this and then to be able to communicate this to the relevant stakeholders. And I mean, you know, businesses, cities, I mean, all those stakeholders who are involved in, let's say, deciding, uh, for want of a better word, um, the future of, uh, of people and businesses and establishments and the economy. I mean, that includes agriculture and so many other sectors that will be affected by the change in climate
2: Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. And I think uh, these scenarios are absolutely important to also just monitor how have we progressed, I think, uh, going forward with it. Unless and until we are able to do that, we might not have comparative data to figure out, okay, where where are we now and where are we trying to go? Uh, but, uh, I, I don't know, I think this can uh taken later or uh, we can also, I would just like to explore on the line. There. I, I do understand data is one of the most important aspects. to even start considering how things are moving forward. Uh, but data validation, I think, is also a pretty challenging task. And especially when in today's day and age, when we are talking about a lot of IoT systems coming into the Uh at least uh, I know from the point of view that government is trying to work uh, out with that as well, that there can be some systems in which IoT systems can also be benchmarked. But uh, can that data be used easily? Because I think even if we're talking about weather monitoring stations, let's just keep that as a simple example. Uh, We have one, two, or maybe five weather monitoring stations in a city at max. Uh, if you want to go on a large scale from place to place, to place even in a city, you might need an IoT based system because then it's easier to capture the data and you might not have to invest so much into an actual automatic weather station. So will that kind of data might also work or how will that function? Because I think uh, there is a gap over there as well.
0: Right. So there are two, there are two issues here. One, one is that the data that we have whether that's credible, that's available, and and by by available I mean available in the public domain, and that's not understandable. Like these these uh, data centers can download a huge amount of Excel sheets. How does, it, for example, a city uh, a government use that data or access that data? So that's one issue. So even if there are five monitoring stations, are you as a citizen of your city able to access or to be able to understand that data? So that's one aspect of it. The second is to build the data, you know, to enhance the quality of the data that's credible. So therefore, I think, of course, the uh, IoT will be be useful, and there's, it's inevitable that it will happen, and it will happen faster than we think it will happen. But but I wonder that for given the climate challenge, whether it will be fast enough or not. Because I think we are just running against time. We are um, really behind on where we need to be. And therefore, anything that happens after 15 years is just far, way too late, I think, the mitigation aspect. Yeah,
2: yeah. I, I do think so as I think uh, while we have improved drastically on technology part, I would say, uh, it's not that we have not improved. Especially in India as well with the kind of digital systems Things are progressing, yeah. at and I am hopeful as well that uh, hopefully we will be able to see that change in uh, digital systems as well that we have better enhanced data because somewhere we also collect data from cities on different different climate aspects uh, much more on the municipal level uh, of what all things are there in the city or not. But uh, I think from a broader perspective of how things are changing, this might be a very important part of it. Uh, so, what are some other major challenges that India has, if you have to take it from uh, this perspective, that what uh, so I think one is the adaptation point of view that, uh, as you mentioned, that uh, as Ahmedabad faces, so, or most of the other cities also faces, severe heat waves and then what are the other things from mitigation perspective, that we have to look at, India needs to focus on.
0: Um, well, India needs to focus on everything. That's a short answer to your question, but it's a simplified answer. I think uh, we will have to, we will have to work uh, towards, I mean, India has announced a 2017 net zero target. So we, first of all, we need a roadmap on where, how we are going to get there and what sectors are we going to work on first. And I think we don't have really the luxury of sequencing. So if we were having this conversation, say 25 years ago, then I'd say, let's take energy first and then we'll take transport and then we'll take industry. But now we are at a stage where we have to look at all the sectors. And therefore, I think um, the data part I come back to again, that we need to assess the baseline situation of where we are. India I think, needs to, to ramp up really clean energy. Um, and there are no hanging fruits, right? Let's talk about, like, for example, transport. And, and... The, some of the solutions for mitigation are not new. For example, the the investment in public transport, just okay. setting up infrastructure for transport, that's not new. What is new is now setting up infrastructure. So there are solutions that already existed, like urban planning and development solutions. There are new solutions like the the infrastructure for electric vehicles, and there are still further technology solutions, like maybe hydrogen for freight, which is still at a very nascent stage. So, so. India really needs to, to work on these three areas. One is policy and regulation. The second one is uh, investment in these technologies so that they can be upscaled. And the third is facilitating or regulating consumption for some sections of the society because we are in a unique position, right? We have a large section of the population which hardly consumes, but a small section which is really growing. And if you looked at if you looked at yesterday's UN uh, report that came out, then we are going to be fast. We are going to be the the largest populated, most populated country globally. We will overtake China, and our growth still continues. So. So, well, it's an opportunity, but from the climate change perspective, it's a very big challenge, especially for mitigation because um, just to meet the growing demands for infrastructure and services for this large population is is really going to be a challenge. And I think India really needs to work on on how we could at least add the new infrastructure, which is uh, um, climate proof and, and look up. And then we, we look at solutions such as alternate materials. Maybe design our buildings differently. I'll just give you one example. Like, you know, building codes. Now, you have these building and development control regulations for states. Okay? If you look at these regulations, they sometimes point to the national building. Uh, what is it called? Uh, energy Natural
2: efficiency building.
0: code. The uh, ECBC. Uh, yeah. Yeah. ECBC, right? Like, I think these, these codes really need to be updated at the national yeah. level. And to ensure that the states look at it, like you will just find scattered references to climate change. We are not at a stage where we we can afford to have these very um, lenient uh, uh, development standards. So, I would say, I mean, there are these low-hanging fruits which really don't do not cost much, right? But but so we have to start thinking about some of these solutions really uh, now.
2: I, I I do agree. I uh, I think. So. I, I am on the same lines and I would also like to see things progress as fast as possible and, uh, but I am also not sure how to make it progress as fast as possible. I think that is one of the reasons that uh, we are talking this to so many people to understand what are the different systems in place uh, for all the people so that it's easier to progress. And uh, coming to something like net zero, net zero is not an easy concept for people to understand because People still get confused about, are we just talking about electricity going to renewable or are we talking about how are we going to make sure that uh, there is no carbon emissions? But I think it is not that. So if you can just highlight what are we looking at from net zero as well, or a country like India or any other country can try to focus on it. What are the things that it can look towards when it is trying to look at net zero?
0: Right. So basically, in very simple words, net zero means um, cutting emissions to as close to zero as possible without any remaining uh, without any remaining emissions reabsorbed from the atmosphere. Uh, yes. Sorry, can I repeat our answer? Yes, yes. Sorry, yes, yes. net zero. Yeah, yeah. Net zero means reducing greenhouse gas emissions to as close to zero or zero, yes. with the remaining emissions being reabsorbed either by the atmosphere, by the oceans, or by the forests which means that if I'm emitting, say, X units of of greenhouse gas emissions, then somehow I need to remove X units. So either I reduce X to a a fraction of X, and then whatever fraction that remains, I try to offset that. Okay. So first of all is the challenge of really steeply reducing the emissions. And then there are this like I mentioned earlier on this podcast, that there's a small fraction of the emissions that would still remain, right? Maybe yeah. maybe through the use of natural gas somewhere or in industry and that's the amount that you have to offset either by growing trees or by using technologies like um, Um, or you could, for example, use carbon capture and storage, yeah, or or even more advanced technologies, but I really don't want to go into that technology space right now Um, and the reason, of course, as you might know, but for for the listeners is that that these technologies are not proven to scale, they are still not very well understood, especially their risks, their costs and their large scale implications for the planet, so there are technologies that that are being um. discussed, but we really don't know if, if we can depend on those technologies for, for solving the climate problem. Yeah,
2: no, that's... So our bit.
0: best option... Yeah, sorry. Go ahead, go, go ahead.
2: Yeah. Sorry, go
0: ahead. No, I, 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 was, I wanted to say that, that, that our best option, and really the only option, is to look at sectoral solutions, to look at integrated solutions that we already know and find ways to implement these.
2: Yeah. No, I I, I do agree and uh, I think one of the, like, I was going to come to the next question and we have partially answered it already, but how much can we really offset because even if we grow so so much of the forest, uh, uh, that is one part I think which is easiest, but it takes time. Your Trees are not going to be overnight. It will take its own course of time to even start absorbing that amount of stuff. And then, while it is very important to make sure something like urban detail is reduced with that, and for that we need to make sure that we are doing more, uh, that will eventually lead to lower, uh, energy consumption. But at the same time, something like carbon captures and storage, it's uh uh, I, I do agree that it's currently very expensive in terms of Indian context as well. I think some of the western world might be able to use it, but, uh, for, India or Global South first. I don't, uh, are these technologies even viable to any extent?
0: They are viable. They are uh, viable. Financially. I mean, because, yeah, yeah, they are viable. I mean, see, the question is, what is the cost of climate change versus yeah. the cost of technology, right? Yeah. So, viability is to be discussed in what is the future that you want? And are yeah. you willing to to look at, to 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 pay a little more to avoid that future that you don't want, right? Yeah. And and there are countries who have who have the means to to be able to finance these uh, technologies. And some pilot scale work is going on on CCS. The problem is that the scale that we need is is really going to be challenging yeah. uh, to to achieve. And and but I don't I don't see a way around it because if you want to continue using fossil fuels, then you have to find a way to, to put those emissions somewhere and therefore this seems to be the only um only, uh, well, viable not maybe cost-wise but only viable solution because like you said, planting large-scale trees requires land and where is the land? And it's like, who's going to do it? So, 10 years ago we were discussing about the budget and we were saying, oh, you have these many carbon emissions. Now, who's going to pay the Phosphorus, and now you want to remove carbon dioxide from the atmosphere, and who's going to pay for it so yeah so those those same equity and distributional questions remain and yeah. and while it's interesting from a research perspective, but not from like in in terms of reality, I think we look we are looking at a very grim scenario and and i'm not mixing any words to say that it's really looking i mean if we don 't take action in the next five or seven years, we' really miss the bus and then. We don't have a very good understanding of what the future. I mean, we do have projections, but we don't have a good understanding of the uncertainty, and it could be far worse than than what what's projected in IPCC reports. It could be maybe not that bad, but we really don't know because there are some sensitivities about about nature and about um, the Earth system that we we really don't know. So, yeah. so well that. We are trying to play God by <laughs> by trying to invest in some of these technologies, but but I think uh, scientifically these technologies are still unproven. That's clear.
2: No, I, I I do agree with that. And coming from that perspective, now to I think some of the cities' perspective as well, uh, I think across the globe over the term, cities have been growing drastically in terms of uh, volume of people or in you know, terms. Uh, how they are consuming energy, how they are even generating money. So, somewhere it it kind of fuels the ecosystem in itself, which is causing cities to grow more and more as well. Now, you did mention that energy is one building is one of transporters. Uh, so these are the three major things which will help us start mitigating things on the line. Uh, but one of the biggest challenges I think with energy comes is that uh, it's not possible while solar or wind is considered as a good source of electricity. But it is not possible to generate it locally as well as, uh, there's not enough space inside the city. Bigger power plants. And that generally has its own challenges. So how, uh, what are the other things that can also be talked of to make sure that cities are sustainable and when their growth is happening at one point, we are also able to mitigate the amount of emissions that it is going to be I think uh, from the emissions perspective, cities are one of the units that we might have to look at.
0: So, I think one is, I mean, if we talk about buildings, then it's the built form, right? The way we are yeah. constructing our buildings, the materials we are choosing, and the building design, layout, orientation. So basically urban planning and design, but also building infrastructure. And I mentioned this before that I don't think we are doing a very good job of it because, uh, because we are emulating, um, buildings in other parts of the world which don't, which are not suitable to the Indian climate. And increasingly the new buildings that are coming up are almost air conditioned dependent. So I think that's one solution that cities in India should think very seriously about. Um, uh, the the other solution is just compact development, and if you look at the data for, for Indian cities, and you'll see that most of this growth has has happened uh, with a decrease in density, and therefore, therefore you'll have you'll have we have increasing urban sprawl, as a result of which we are changing our land use. And if you want more land for planning cities, then you have to cut forests or take away land from agriculture, all of which contributes to emissions from land use change. So, it's not just the solutions within cities, but when you make cities or when cities grow, they have other implications for land and emissions, which, which we don't often consider. Um, and, and just compact development with transportation, because transportation is really one of the major emitters within cities. So, if we if we had more compact urban forms with public transport infrastructure, it's happening. But I think we need to do this a lot more. It would it would reduce the dependence on cars and therefore the emissions directly from transport, but also like uh, the term that we use for benefits uh, for air quality uh, and public health. So, I mean, look at the the cities. I mean, without mitigation also, if you didn't have the challenge of climate change, is this the cities that we are aspiring for, which are choked-choked with traffic and congested? And there's no quality of life. So, if every city emulates, let's talk about the the top seven cities in India, right? If every city in India goes the Mdebad way, so just to give you an example, I think uh, we are going to have a major problem on our hands. And it's not only going to be climate change.
2: Yeah, I I do agree with it. And one of the biggest things that I have at least realized, I will not even say that I've studied it, but uh, I have realized this uh, behavior. And I think uh, with growing cities and affordability that people have right now, everyone wants everything faster, everyone wants everything uh, customized, everyone wants everything Tuned for their own way, and that kind of leads to the kind of system, and that is where I think behavior is one of the necessary things that we are looking at uh, for Indian context. How are we then trying uh, going to solve this as a problem? Because it's not that we are not efficient. Uh, we will make sure that we use everything as efficiently as possible to a certain extent, but we also demand a lot many more new things now because of affordability. So, it's a rising uh, change that I think with the youth, with uh, adults coming in with more money. uh, So, there is an integrated efficiency part, I feel, But at the same time, there is an increase in just resources that they want. It's not that. How are we going to tackle this behavior problem? Because I think that is where somewhere solution might also lie.
0: You sound like you've studied, not just realized this. I think it's a very valid, well-framed question. Um, So let me just start from what the IPCC report says. So for the first time, we realized that the potential from behavioral change is much larger than what we thought it was. Traditionally, we've only focused on technologies, but now we look at the numbers and it shows that 40 to 70% of the emission reduction can actually happen with behavior change. That said, behavior change alone will not solve the problem. And so the report clearly says that behavior change is enabled, right? Um, behavior change itself is an enabler, but it is also enabled by by the access to technology, sometimes uh, by the um, by the provision of infrastructure, and therefore governments or the private sector needs to provide that infrastructure for people to change their behavior. That's one aspect of it. There are, I mean, l- l- like the simple simple example is that there are people who are willing to change their behavior, but they are unable to because they don't have the necessary support. Yeah. right? So that's one solution. The second solution is what we call in the IPCC report choice architecture, which is um, um, a term to say how choices are presented to consumers. So when, when people are presented a choice and they know the implications of the choice, they would probably choose a more sustainable option, whether it we talk about labeling for appliances or for efficiency of cars. So, so it's like how, t- I think we need to think about this little more seriously. How are choices presented to consumers? Do they know the implications of the choices they are making? And the third and the final thing is about, about reducing the emissions from that crap, the rising incomes. And that, as you said, is the biggest challenge. That with incomes increasing, people want more. They want bigger cars, bigger homes, more, just more material material uh, uh, needs. So I think that awareness is the key, and and podcasts like these and and so many so many things that are happening in mainstream need to be ramped up. And I see a lot of uh, mainstream media trying to address this now in the last three or four years, but it has not happened before. We need to start, I think, in schools and colleges i do sometimes speak to younger audiences and they're way they're way more informed than than we think they are uh, but yet i don't think its climate change has found its its place in schools uh, as much as it needs to be and it could be like in some schools, some elite schools or sometimes even in some traditional schools but but i think we need to to look at raising awareness in the younger population because i think somehow there is a lock in with with
2: adults,
0: that's harder to break than,
2: than with young people. Yes. But I, I, I do agree. Like, I, like, I will say that uh, my nieces and nephews uh, have more understanding about climate change than my brothers and sisters. Uh, and they are pretty like uh, 10 15 years hard. And they know much more about it. And I think their behavior is much more attuned to this whole narrative as well that, okay, they, as they are going to grow up, people have to pay uh, I, I feel it's about 20, 25 years or so, where from that to somewhere over 45, uh, they understand somewhere broad lines of climate but they don't know how to act on And this is the spot where I think rising income also comes into picture, uh, because these are the people who are earning and consuming, uh, and they have more, uh, uh Income which they can dispose of bit. and that change is uh, at least from my understanding requires much better adoption in general. I, I don't know how that is possible to bring out, uh, but that is something I would be happy to also explore. Uh, that okay, how do we target this audience? Someone of these lines, they are able to convert, and uh, as you said, maybe. Hopefully get 40 to 70 percent emission reduction due to behavior because they might be the people we are trying to target.
0: No, I think, yeah, I mean, I don't have a, like, a very simple answer to this uh, problem, otherwise we will solve it <laughs> But, but uh, we talk about, uh, we talk about these, uh, uh, for example, you talk about architects, you talk about uh, the rich uh, people who can serve as role models. And, and we do touch upon this, but there isn't enough scientific evidence on this. That, that when people emulate role models, can these role models enable the change? You know, for, where, in India, for example, it could be Bollywood actors. Um, yeah, and, and we do know a few, but like, not as many, I think. And, and we need change at, at every level, I think, starting from the bottom up. But, you know, one of the things that intrigues me is why climate change is still not an election issue in India. That, that politically, why? Why does it not influence conversations in the living room? It does now because we are seeing the changing climate, but but yet in the age group that we speak about, change is most needed and it's it's not happening. Um, I think it's also the onus on businesses and how how they operate. Right? It's not just consumer responsibility, but it's producer responsibility in such about yeah. the sustainable development goal twelve, yeah. and how companies produce and sell that influences how people consume and wants to. So, I think we, we need change at both ends.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I I think, and somewhere, uh, my belief is also on the lines that we do have a constant amount of disasters in on cities, per se. Yeah, there is heat wave, then there is flooding, then there is smog everywhere. So, I think across India as well, most of the cities face these kind of issues. It's not that, it's not there, but people... Yeah have still not been able to place that and how this is going to affect them more and
0: more. Right. And, and that's the thing about climate. When you look out of the window, you don't see climate change, right? Yeah. You sometimes you see, you see air pollution and you can complain about it. But the thing with India is that there's an event and there's a conversation around it. There's somebody to blame and then it dies down. And then there's another event which replaces that. And, and we have these conversations. I would say when the heat wave happened, there was a lot of conversation around heat. But now yeah. that's replaced by flood. Sometimes yeah. that's replaced replaced by stubble burning. Yeah. And yet we haven't really gone to the stage where we look for a long term yeah. uh, answer to the problem.
2: No, yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's a fascinating problem, and like I think you we know, need a solution faster. And I think uh, on those lines, I would like to then ask one of the questions that we ask everyone: like, that is, yes, it's a problem. We know that we need to solve it. Mm-hmm. Then, what yeah. are the skill sets required to solve it? Uh, I think that is something I know it's a very broad when we're talking about mm-hmm. climate change in general. There are a lot of fields that are required, but let's say uh, from from mitigation perspective, what do you think is mm-hmm. what are the different skill sets required in India right now mm-hmm. to make sure that we can transition to this?
0: No matter what profession you take, you're going to have to. To take on the climate challenge, right? Whether whether they go into banking, because now you you will need um you will need bankers to understand and and uh, assess risks uh, to future projects. Whether you're in the insurance industry. People from social and behavioral and humanities disciplines need to understand how these behavioral choices will happen. People from management will have to look at different ways of marketing to, to see how these sustainable practices can be sustained and enhanced. If you're from urban planning, then there's a lot of scope to, to, to rework on our these um, If people are, um, if they really need to understand loss and damage and find ways to, to, um, and to understand and maybe more economic incentives and how these would, be, um, these would be used. And let me think of what else. I think, yeah, what, I, what I'm really missing here is the art, uh, communication uh, languages because, um, and history. And, and so I've been speaking to a few colleagues in, in these disciplines and it's, it's great that this conversation has just about uh, started. Um, not so much in India, I would say, but we really need people who can communicate climate change right? Um, And you have these art installations, like in London, um, this artist, she puts up these mass blocks of uh, ice and allows people to come and watch them melt and see how they feel about it. And so there's a lot of public art stuff happening globally and somewhat in India also. And I have a colleague who writes kids books about climate change. So um, so there's like a whole range of skills. I mean, you need people with data and maths, for example. Yeah. You need statisticians to look at climate uh, data and all the uh, rainfall uh, stuff that will be generated. So I think there's a lot of scope for future employment, so to say. But yeah. I think uh, I think to put it from uh, from a solutions perspective, we just it's not about the opportunity, but it's about the need. And we really need younger people to come up with fresh ideas and solutions to address, because clearly we haven't solved it. So we just left it to them. So I'm just calling out to the younger listeners on, on, on this podcast that, that uh, please please help the planet needs you, whatever
2: you're doing. Yeah. Well, absolutely. I think if it's super important, and we need to make sure that somewhere... Somebody more and more solutions come into the picture otherwise, uh, as well as the behavioral adaptability of this. I think both those things are important at this uh, junction in time. Then only, because we are, it's not that behavior science has not come into the mainstream. Uh, We are using it for consumerism. It needs to change Mm -hmm. to the other side of it. Uh, Of course. So, somewhere, uh, I, I don't know how that's going to pan out, but, I think it's super important uh, to uh, cater to uh, but yeah, uh, if I have missed out on any point that you would like to cover and you would like to help audience understand in a better way, feel free I think uh, we can have something to wrap it up.
0: Yeah, I think we haven't touched on the policy and governance aspect enough and, and often in these conversations we tend to look at the government for solutions and and what we really need to highlight is that, of course, it is the government's responsibility, both at the national and subnational level. But really, the private sector, uh, hasn't been doing enough at all, and, and, citizens. So therefore, therefore, calling out to other stakeholders also to solve the climate problem is a, is a, an important point to make, I think, in today's time. Yeah,
2: absolutely. I think, so. and a lot of initiatives are coming up with the private sector online, the ESG. Uh, but I'm also very immature and, or just starting to yeah. learn a bit more about it, but not sure how effective it is to, uh, and what extent it is effective. That is something still need to figure it out, uh, from the government's perspective. Thank you. But thank you so much. I think, uh, this was a great conversation. Uh, thank you so much for your time and I really enjoyed uh, talking and understanding this from the
0: science of it. This is Thank you so much for having me. I hope you found some useful takeaways for the listeners.
2: Yeah, I absolutely did and I hope the uh, audience is able to find something for their own as well.
1: Thank you for tuning into the podcast. Do subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform and follow us on all social media channels. For more details about the Climate Centre for Cities and registration on Climate Practitioners India Network, click on the link in the show notes. The episode is conceptualized and produced by Punit Gandhi. A big thank you to the whole team at CQ and NIUA for supporting the development of the podcast. Stay tuned for the next episode.